Oh Lord, this is your holy word. Bless us, O Lord. Open our eyes that we can see clearly the teaching from your written word. We pray as Jeremiah prayed, show us great and mighty things that we do not know. Protect us from Satan, Lord. Protect us from the world and the flesh that would keep us from your word and obey your word. Rather, as Jesus prayed, I pray for us this day, sanctify us in truth. Thy word is truth. In the name of our Lord and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at, uh, uh, this morning, uh, or this evening, actually, Bishan, it's this morning, suggested levels of discipline. But I, I always receive a lot of uh, questions on this. One is, when do you move from training one stroke to uh, disobedience, which is two strokes. And I would say when you start the training process, if you're focused after the first week, they, they, will, they know, they understand. Uh, people say, well, isn't that expecting them to uh, understand something beyond their level? Well, they know when their favorite show is on TV, they know what their favorite game is on their handheld device. They know what their favorite ice cream flavor is. They know many things. And they know uh, how to talk on the cell phone. Children learn very quickly. But remember, your child is always seeking to train you. So you have to make sure that you are training the child and not vice versa. And one of the things, as soon as the child realizes that they can do one of three things, they will take it and run with it. First, if they recognize the fact that they can embarrass you in public and therefore control you and train you by embarrassing you in public, they will do that. If they realize that you are needy, and if you think for a minute that they might stop loving you and needing you, they will pick up on that. And I have known children who have raised guilty mothers, and they can use this, uh, the guilt that the mother feels for not being a good mother, for disciplining the child and then the child has its own way or if the child realizes they can punish you with crying they will do it so uh, uh, we, we have to be sure that we are training the children they are not training us so, uh, with young children under the age of five, I would say, you know, remember we talked about just doing one area at a time, but when we add the second area, 
we always keep up the first one. We add the third area, we always keep up the first two. Uh, a, a, a common but not an absolute problem is that the mother does not spank as hard as the father. Sometimes that's in reverse, though. I have known families where the mother is the strict disciplinarian and the father is the pushover. But I would say in the majority of cases, I would hate to give a percentage, but about about, uh, uh, 75%, three out of four cases, it will be the father who uh, gives the stronger stroke. In which case, the mother has to learn to give the stroke or the child will obey the father and not obey the mother. And that will lead to grief. Because if you think it's difficult, Mom, and I speak to all the mothers who will be eventually listening to this on the website, if you think it's difficult to live with a three-year-old who doesn't respect you, wait till you have a 13-year-old who doesn't respect and who's the same size you are. So that uh, foolishness needs to be driven out early. It is foolish for a child not to obey their mother. The mother is the only person on the face of the earth who, who, after having carefully thought it through, will die for the child. Now, what I mean by that is fathers will instinctively die for a child. I remember Sam and I were uh, out walking uh, in an area where there was a pond, and uh, we were uh, having fun looking on the edge for he was collecting some cattails for his mother and looking at little things on the edge of the pond and the ice and trying to break ice with a stick. And I was uh, breaking off some cattails for him, and I looked up, and he had walked out about 15 yards out onto that ice. And uh, and then he, w- he was only about three years old. Then he was scared, and he fell down and slipped. And I started out after him, and I could hear the ice creaking and cracking under me, and I knew. Uh, both come out or, or no one comes out. There's no way I'm going to come back to Eleanor and say, well, your only son fell through the ice. <laughs> There's nothing I could do. But that was instinctively. I just knew. So I made my way out there, and then I got down on my spread eagle and told Sam to do the same. Then I was able to grab his little foot, and we worked our way back. Uh, you know instinctively jumping out and grabbing your son and throwing him out of the way of an oncoming car. That's an instinctive thing. Well, let's talk about another situation. You, uh, you're in the doctor's office, and the doctor says, well, your child has a terminal blood disorder. The only thing that will save him is a complete uh, 
transfusion and uh, liver and heart transplant. Unfortunately, he, the, uh, the only known donor is his mother. Well, what would the father say? The father would take his son's hand and say, Well, son, you know we raised you as a Christian, and it uh, looks like you are going to meet Grandma and Jesus before we do, and I want you to know we're going to be with you through the whole thing. We'll be praying for healing, but if God doesn't heal you, we are so thankful you'll be in heaven. What does the mother say? Okay, strap me down. Cut out my heart. Drain all my blood out. I'll save my child. Now, you know, that, that's just true. And so, uh, uh, as fathers, we have to recognize that, and we have to protect our wives from an unhappy experience in parenting and child raising. We remember Proverbs 31:28. her children rise up and bless her. Well, that's our responsibility to make sure that happens. One way it happens is we are um, uncompromisingly strict when it comes to the children's behavior towards their mother. On the, uh, uh, on the same token, we help the mother give a true spank. And the only way I knew to do this with Eleanor was to wait till one of the children disobeyed her, or us, Pearl, and then have her give the spanking, and me go in with her and say, no, uh-uh, that's not it. Let's try this again. Because uh, it strokes that wound, cleanser way evil and blows reach to the innermost part. The Bible says, you, uh, you shall beat him with a rod, and he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod, and deliver his soul from Sheol. So you need to get that arm up over the shoulder. Now, uh, uh, the mother may need to practice on a pillow. But it has to be a stroke. And generally, you can go by the sound of the whack. So, uh, but uh, uh, I just caution all the mothers. I wish I could open your eyes to the sorrow you will experience if you do not take care of this before your child is a teenager. And... Uh, Now, um, if the child refuses to cooperate with the spank, then that's training. And I, I would tell the child, now, we are going to practice doing something. You are going to lie on your bed and you are going to put your hands on your cheeks and lie still. Now I'm not going to spank you right now unless you refuse to do this. And if the child refuses to do that, that's a rebellion. That's three strokes. We can try again. Three strokes. Okay. Now are you ready to lie on the bed and put your hands on your cheeks. Three 
strokes. Now that seems harsh, doesn't it? But Robin and Stephen, would you trade out your teenage years for ones of submissive, obedient children for your preschool years of having a sore bottom? Yeah. You'd trade them out, wouldn't you? So that's what we're talking about right there. That's what I had to realize. I was a rebellious teenager and caused my mom a lot of grief. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want Eleanor to go through what my mom went through. So uh, uh, spanking causes them a lot of grief too. But I was going to let them be traded off. Now, sometimes I'd be spanking the children and I would come out and Eleanor would be crying. And I'd be thinking, you know, there's, there's no future here. <laughs> I don't mind when I spank the children if their brothers and sisters cry. But, but mom, that's not, that's not working. So there needs to be a real conviction. And that's where those quiet times come in that this is best for the child. Now, you don't have to like your child getting a penicillin shot. I guess they don't give penicillin shots anymore, do they? They might. You don't have to like your child getting a rubella vaccination. And you don't have to like the fact that your child cries, but you, there has to be a like in getting it done because you don't want your child to experience that. Eleanor has a lady in Bible study whose parents took her in for her polio vaccinations and she cried and it was hard and she wept. And so her mother just said, well, we're not going to go through that again. That's just too hard. And so they didn't get the second round. Well, that woman has polio now. Polio is in the U.S. It's been introduced by immigrants from uh, uh, North Africa, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, primarily by Islamic groups that refuse to be vaccinated for, under any reason. And so somewhere in here in Houston, she picked up polio. And she has uh, gone from a cane to a walker to a wheelchair and feels very uh, struggles with anger and bitterness towards her mother. Because her mother thought she was loving her, didn't she? But she wasn't. And uh, I know I have ministered to university students when they observed uh, our discipline and training of our children and my commitment to that process and Eleanor's commitment to that process who struggled with anger towards their parents because of their parents' laissez-faire attitude towards them and what resulted in them in terms of their character development. So your children are going to think back on you and uh, we know, I know in my school experience that the strictest teachers were appreciated the most 
in the long run because you actually learn things from them. The one that showed slideshows all day and movies and told stories, that was all right till it came time to take the SAT and the PSAT. Then you realized you didn't know things that you needed to know to be successful. So, uh, I, I say to couples that are laboring under this that the uh, mother must learn to be a disciplinarian. That's just part of the deal. They have to do that. So, the good news is that your children, you will be able to enjoy your children if you discipline them and properly. The bad news is you won't enjoy doing it, <laughs> but the results you will enjoy. So, having said that, let's look at uh, Lecture 3 in terms of the training process, suggested levels of discipline. Remember, we are moving from submission to authority, which leads to self-control, to wisdom and life skills, which then allow us to enjoy our children and draw near to our children through play and affection and helping our children become a success. Remember the goal is our child's success. That our children would grow up and lead lives both fruitful and fulfilled. In their, we want them to do this in their relationship with God, in their relationship with man. We want them to eventually live apart from their parents while maintaining a loving relationship with their parents. So, having said that, what we will now look at is what exactly are the rod infractions. When we talk about the rod infractions, what, what are we talking about here? Well, uh, our experience was nine months to ten years, or puberty, whichever comes first. Uh, parents will say, well, at nine months, isn't the child too young to obey? I always say, if the child is old enough to disobey you, they are old enough to obey you. Why is the child old enough to crawl away from you, but not come? Why is the child old enough to scream at you, but not hush? Why is the child old enough to throw their food at you, but not eat their food. Why is that? Well, because there are some things the child likes to do and some things they don't want to do. So, uh, we looked, once the child could understand banana, mommy, daddy, things like that, they, they can understand, know, obey, come, hush, give. The other thing we have to remember is that although there may be other methods of discipline, the rod is the only application of discipline given in Scripture. So there are many people who say, well, yes, the Bible teaches the rod, but it's the last resort. No, that's not true. The rod is the first resort. 
If you don't use the rod, there needs to be a valid reason for using another form of discipline. So let's look at this in Luke 12, 47 through 48. Luke 12, 47 through 48 says, And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will shall receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given, much is required. To him has entrusted much. Of him they will ask the more. So, although this is not talking about discipline, it does contain the concept of there are levels of response by God and by man. And so we differentiate here between training and discipline and rebellion. So let's look at that, shall we? First, let's talk about the training spank. Instructing the child in a task or responsibility. Let's say uh, picking up their toys. The infraction here is a loss of concentration, distraction, failure to finish the job. Is it a good wisdom and life skill for a child to learn to be given a responsibility and to finish it unsupervised? Yeah, that's a great skill, isn't it? Will a child who is given an instruction in the classroom and goes to work, concentrates on what is being said, and then finishes the assignment without interruption, will that child do well in school? Yes. Will the child who cannot maintain their concentration and is constantly stopping and talking to others or writing a note or drawing pictures or doodling, will that child do well? No. And they will be unhappy also. So the discipline there is one stroke. It's a training spank. So you will tell the child to pick up their toys. So you instruct. This is what it looks like. Then you say, okay, I'm going to leave. I want you to pick up your toys. You come back and your child has found a toy that they had forgotten about and is playing with it. They've become distracted. Well, what do you do? Hezekiah, you instruct them. What did daddy say? Pick up. That's right. What are you doing? But, 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 no. Hezekiah, what are you doing? Oh, no. Hezekiah, what are you doing? Playing. That's disobey. Say, I will obey daddy quickly the first time. Okay. Or say, obey, depending on how old the child is. Okay. Lie on your bed, put your hands on your cheeks. This is one stroke. You're getting one stroke for disobeying. Stroke. Oh! Then you calm Hezekiah down. Why did you get the stroke? Playing with my toys. No. 
I gave you those toys to play with. What did you do? Disobeyed. Say, I will obey. Obey. Right? And that's carried out at whatever level they can speak at. And then you hug them and you kiss them. You wipe away their tears. And then you set them back down. Okay, now Hezekiah, pick up your toys. When Hezekiah does this, then you can take him around to his mother and say, Tell mommy what you did. Obey. And then mommy can smother him with kisses too and you can all applaud. Maybe give him a little biscuit or cookie or something. And, uh, and life goes on. That's training. Well, what's the next step? The next step is disobedience. That's a willful decision on the child's part not to obey. The child is picking up their toys. They hear a t- their favorite TV show come on in the other room that their sister is looking at. And they stop and go and watch it. They don't want to pick up their toys. They want to watch TV. Or they hear the phone ring and mommy is talking to grandma. They don't want to pick up their toys. They want to go talk to grandma. Or they hear a knock at the door and it's one of their friends. Their mother and one of their friends has come to visit. They don't want to pick up their toys. They want to go see their friend. Well, is watching TV a sin? No. Is wanting to talk to grandma on the phone a sin? No. Is being excited that a lady from church has come over with one of their little friends to play a sin? No. Is disobeying the mother or the father and not picking up the toys, but instead leaving the toys a sin? Yes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.1, that's the Greek word daiki. The right thing, the correct thing, that thing which keeps a child in a right relationship with God, is that they obey you. And you do not have the authority to allow disobedience. Now, you don't have to require obedience. But once you have required obedience, you cannot withdraw that unless your requirement was sinful. There is a, um, a sacrifice in Leviticus for the rash vow. Jephthah said he would sacrifice the first thing that came into his sight. It was his daughter. Jephthah should have repented, and he should have taken the turtle doves to the priest and the coinage to the priest and sacrificed for the rash vow. And you can say, well, this was a rash vow. But generally, they are not rash vows. They're just disobedience. That's two strokes for disobedience. And when your children learn this, I have one child who is a great negotiator. Oh no, I didn't understand yet. I'm still being trained. No, no, sorry. 
No, you understand and you disobeyed. That's two strokes. So instruct, discipline, instruct, restore. So we want to drive that foolishness out of the child and teach the child to obey. The teacher has said, when you finish your handwriting assignment, when you finish your alphabet assignment on page three of the workbook, when you finished the addition sheet that I have given you, when you have finished that, you can go back to the book table and get a book. Or you can go back to the craft table and draw a picture when you finished. If, your chi- if you have not trained your child to obey when told that, what is your child going to do? If, they, if you have told them to pick up their toys and they want to watch TV so they don't pick up their toys, or they want to come talk on the phone so they don't pick up their toys, are they going to stay at their desk and work when they would rather be looking at a dinosaur book or at the craft table? So you are responsible for your child's success. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you. The well-being of your child, their success, is your responsibility. And that starts at home. I had a mother in, here in Houston in Bible study say, I don't know why my children are so well-behaved at school when they're so disobedient at home. I, you know, but at least they obey at school. I, I, I said, no. The reason they're obeying at school, they're not being spanked. They're being humiliated. They're being marginalized. They're using psychological and peer pressure to bring them into obedience. That is so harsh. And the fact that you have a school teacher, a relative stranger who is more concerned about the behavior of your child than you, that should humiliate you. But it didn't. She belonged to the chuckling mother sorority. Well, you know when children disobey, you just kind of chuckle. (laughs) I guess that's the way it is. (laughs) Children are so cute. (laughs) Look at their little willful. (laughs) Look at that. (laughs) What a little man. What a little woman. (laughs) Oh, well, terrible twos. (laughs) No, we don't laugh at rebellion and disobedience. We get involved with our children. What's the next level? Now remember, I don't know anybody's behavior of anybody's children or your behavior as parents. So, if I'm missing the mark, it's because I don't know. If I'm hitting the mark, it's because I don't know. I'm just teaching you this seminar. These notes... Uh, were written before I met anybody at this seminar. Rebellion. 
a face-to-face -face confrontation to decide who is in control. A blatant no. A temper tantrum, falling on the ground, going limp, crying, kicking. Running or walking away. Kicking you, hitting you, throwing something at you. Now we've looked at the passages of what happens to children who engage in behavior that is unacceptable to God. So we don't allow this. Now, uh, Hezekiah, dinner's in 10 minutes. I'll be up here in a minute to tell you to pick up your room. I'm just giving you a little notice. No! No! I want to play! No, Hezekiah, you have to pick up. Then he picks up his story and throws it at you. Okay, Hezekiah, and then he runs away. That's all rebellious behavior. Humiliating the mother in public by screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. That is rebellious. So that's three strokes. Instruct, discipline, instruct, restore. Three strokes. Once you, uh, when you are teaching your child how to receive a stroke, you're just going to train them how to lie on the bed and put their hands on their cheeks. You're just going to train them to do that. You're not going to spank them. But if they're not willing to do that, then they get a training spoke stroke. Then you say, okay, let's try again. They're still not willing. That immediately jumps to them disobeying you. Then, if they're crying and screaming and kicking, that's the rebellion stroke. Your child has to learn that they cannot use emotions to punish you. I just was looking at the Facebook post of the child of a missionary. She married in rebellion. Her husband left her, they got a divorce, and within a week she married again in rebellion. And that marriage is in trouble. And the reason is, is that she uses emotions to punish people. Don't teach your children to do that and don't model it. But she's been doing that. We've known this couple since she was born. And this little girl did that as a preschooler, as an elementary schooler, as a high schooler, and now is an adult, and is she is unhappy, and her parents are humiliated and unhappy as well. So, don't allow temper tantrums. Don't allow your child to use emotions to punish. Now, repetition. A repeated offense in the, of the same nature in the immediate time framework and in the context of that infraction. Remember, do we bring up the past? No. We don't bring up the past. How many times have I told you? Remember yesterday? You were crawling on the counter. Now today you're crawling on the counter. 
Uh, we've been going over and over this. Remember, last week we talked about this. You were crawling on the couch. Why can't you obey? What's wrong with you? No, you don't talk to them that way. If God talked to you that way, you'd go insane. We are presumptuous. We don't realize all of our sins we committed in the past. If God sat you down and said, Okay, let me tell you what you're really like before I discipline you for this. We, we, would, we can never live under that burden. So don't do it to your children. But it is a valid thing that if you tell your child to pick up and they start picking up and then they get distracted again, it is a valid thing to say, now we just talked about this, but that's the phrase. It has to be. It can't be we talked about this yesterday. It can't be we talked about it earlier today. But we just talked about this. Every single toy goes in the toy box. You don't get to stop and play. Okay, now that would be plus one. If it was training, now it's two strokes. If it was disobedience, now it's three. If it was rebellion, now it's four. And we never went over five. Then you stop. Let the child calm down. You calm down. Everybody calms down. But then you start again. Okay. We're going to try this again. Do you want five strokes no 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 well then you have to decide and I always make sure the child from nine months to 19 you are making these decisions you are and I have one child who just I mean it was like uh, talking to a brick wall don't you realize you this these are your decisions you're making and I would look to that child's sibling and say, did you learn anything? And boy, that child was more compliant from seeing how stubborn the child's sibling was than any, than, as well as the spankings. It's kind of like, this, this is crazy. This is going nowhere. This cannot be won. <laughs> Why? And I even heard that younger sibling talked to the older sibling about it. Why? Don't you see? Why? <laughs> You'll never win! But that's true only if it's true, isn't it? If the child wins, if you are up to five strokes and then you quit, what's the break-even point, the starting point in the mind of the child? Five strokes. That's just the starting point. Now we'll see how long you go. So don't do that. Don't quit. Don't quit. I came home from uh, work one day and Eleanor said, You take over. Uh, I think I'm up to 25 with this job. Not 25, but five sessions of five. I've been spanking this child all day. So I did. I took over. 
that child had the strongest will of all of our children to disobey. That child now has the strongest will of all the children, the most focused obedience of all the children. But that was a gift we gave that child by sticking with it. So, repetition. Add one. Now, the parents always ask me what are the non-rod infractions. So I'll give you a couple. But I think it's interesting that when I teach a non-rod infraction, parents say, yeah, but tell us about the rod. We want to know some more about the rod. Tell us about the rod. You know? They never say that. People always want to know the alternative to doing it God's way, don't they? They always want to know that. The alternative to doing it God's way. Well, we had, uh, we used these non-rad infractions, but they supplemented the rod. They didn't replace it. One was whining. We had a child who just whined all the time. And, you know, in my generation it was called moping. By the time my children came along, the terminology was called whining. Now, in your generation, it's called expressing their emotions. But what it is, is whining. An ungrateful whining attitude. So, we had something called the whining stool. So, you never isolate the child. Because the child is never isolated. They're either with you, or they're in a room apart from you with the world, the flesh, and the devil. But they're never by themselves. God never leaves you or forsakes you. Don't you do that with your child. So we had a whining stool. We would place the child on the stool. So wherever we were working, maybe the stool was in my office, maybe it was in the kitchen, no matter where the parent happened to be, that's where the stool was. The stool was out away from anything the child could touch or play with. And then we would set the timer. Five minutes. If you can go five minutes without whining, you can get down. If you whine or complain, it's reset. Now, that's not five minutes of total silence. You can sing. You can talk to mommy. You can talk to daddy. You can tell yourself a story, however, you know, children can entertain themselves in many ways. But if you whine, if you complain, I just reset the timer. And if you have to go potty, I'll take you down, you'll go potty, and then I reset the timer. So, so that's what, uh, if the child gets down off the stool, that's disobedience. If the child begins to argue with you, that would be training. No, there's no argument here. 
There's no explanation beyond that you are whining. You know you're whining and you have to stop whining. Will a whining child, what will that child be called by his playmates at school? Crybaby. Do you want that for your child? What, how, what will the teachers and the Sunday school teachers refer to the child as? The crybaby. Will the child, will the child be pleasant to be around? No. So will teachers and parents choose the child to do things, even if the child can do them better than somebody else? No, because they're an unpleasant child. They're a crybaby. Well, don't do that. Bless your child with the ability to control their tongue. Now, is crying a sin? No, crying is not a sin. If our children were scared, they could cry. If they were hurt, they could cry. If something happened that made them sad that was legitimate, not selfish, if their hamster died, they could cry. But they could not use crying to punish or just to make other people miserable. They couldn't do that. And so that's the whining stool. The other area is hush. Children learn quickly that they can drive their parents nuts by crying. I had a friend in Bible study. Uh, uh, I called him on the phone. His wife was whispering on the phone. And uh, they had a three-year-old child, and I said, you know, I'm sorry. Um, I didn't realize this was before cell phones and mute. I didn't realize that it might be nap time. She says, oh, it's not nap time. But she may named, uh, you know, Delilah just doesn't like me talking on the phone. So she'll come around and start crying and pouting and acting out. Well, who's being trained there? The mother. We would teach our children to hush. Mommy's on the floor. A uh, mommy's on the phone. Here is a toy. Sit on the floor and hush. Don't say a word. Um, there was a uh, missionary who was visiting, and he had uh, two daughters. Eleanor had a Bible study, and he asked if his wife could host the Bible study in their home so that his wife could get to know the other women in the church. I thought that's very valid, because that really breaks the ice, doesn't it? So I said, yeah, we'll have, Eleanor said, yeah, we'll have the Bible study in your home. So they started the Bible study, and their five-year-old daughter came out whining, 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. So her mother, they stopped the Bible study while her mother gave her something to drink. And then the girl came, came oh, what was that noise? Well, I'm scared. So the mother calmed her down. Then the girl came out and said, well, now I need to go potty. I can't stay in the room. So her mother said, okay, you can go potty. So now we started back up. Well, the phone rang. Is that grandma? Is that? Well, you know, about every three minutes, that child was out there with a problem. And so finally, they just gave up. Well, as Eleanor was, as they were leaving, Eleanor heard, went back to use the restroom, and the child saw her coming out of the restroom and threw herself on the floor and began crying. The mother ran on and scooped her up, and the child said, I fall down, I fall down. And so as the mother was comforting her, she looked right in Eleanor's face, made eye contact. See? She knew she was training her mother. There's not going to be any Bible study in that home, and no babysitter was going to be staying with her. She was not going to share her mother. Well, is that child going to be a happy child? No. And that child uses use those same uh, punishing emotions to ruin her marriage twice. So we drive that foolishness out of your child. Uh, I was the pastor of a church, and uh, we would host the Christmas parties and the staff parties in our home. The reason why we did that is because the senior pastor's teenage children were so loud and so rebellious and so disrespectful that they could not practice the ministry of hospitality as commanded of elders in First Timothy and Titus. We could. In fact, not only could we have the ministry of hospitality, but our children would serve the cookies and serve the drinks and greet, uh, greet the people when they came in the door and take the coats. And that's when they were in elementary school. So we, where does that begin? It begins when they learn to hush on command. How do you teach your child to hush? This is how you do it. You place one hand there. You place one hand there. You close their mouth and you say, hush. And then you just stay like that until they stop screaming or fall asleep. Once, when they hush, sometimes they're not really hushing, they're catching their breath. (laughs) Then you praise them and hug them. Oh good, you hush. That's good. That's good. Now hush. After the child calms down, Oh, well, I'm not crying. I'm not through punishing you. Ah! No win. Hush. Reason we did hush was it's hard to differentiate when you're spanking the child whether they're crying because they got the spanking or they're crying to punish you. So we did hush. Hush works. 
you're driving in the car, starts to rain, you're trying to concentrate. Hezekiah, Delilah, hush. You're trying to fix dinner. Delilah, sit on the floor and play and hush. You're talking on the phone. Hush. It's time to go to bed. Okay. All right, you hush. And then you hush. And then the child hushes. Within two weeks, the child will hush on command. If mom and dad are consistent. If you are inconsistent, there is always hope that you can be trained. You understand that? If you are not consistent, there is always hope in the child's mind that this time they will win. This time you won't last. This time they will outlast you. And all you're doing is developing your child in the way the child should not go. <laughs> and that is trying to punish and train their parents and those in authority. Okay? So, don't do that. Train them in the way they should go. Remember what Eleanor said? John, don't go round and round and round in circles with these couples explaining to them the necessity of using the rod and being consistent. They know that. It's just a lot of work. All their reasons are smoke screens. It comes down to the fact that raising children is a lot of work. It's a lot easier to raise a plant. It's a lot easier to raise a dog. Right? So you have plants and you have dogs, and then you have children. That's the most work. So your plants are doing very well in your home, and your dogs are well behaved in your home, and your children are not doing well and are not well behaved, and that's because it's so much harder. I'm not picking on you, Stephen, because you have two dogs. This is in my lecture notes. I developed this line when we moved to Oklahoma and everybody had a hunting dog. Everybody starting in high school had their own hunting dog. Bird dogs usually, sometimes coon dogs. Usually bird dogs. And I would say to these young men, these young fathers, why are your dogs more pleasant to be around and more obedient than your children. It's because you spend time with the dog and training the dog and not your children. Some of these men, quite frankly, needed to get rid of their dogs and put their shotguns in the gun case and spin the dial, put their fishing rods up on the, uh, on the holders in the garage, and, and come home and concentrate on raising the kids. Now, you don't have to do that, but to tell you the truth, some, fa some fathers should. The Big Five, by age two. Here are the five things your children should do by the age two. If they're older than two, it's all right. This is your goal for the next 18 months, whatever it is. Number one, no. No. No means no. 
N-O. Don't do that. Okay? No. What is that? That's a no. What did Daddy say? No. What did Mommy say? No. I'm going to brag on one of my children. I'm going to brag on Rebecca. Uh, she wasn't even two years old, and we went to visit the grandmother, and immediately Becca went around, and the grandmother said, You know, I didn't childproof the home. Uh, quick, let me run around. And I said, No, you don't have to childproof this home. She said, oh, no, no, I do. But before she could even say that, Becca was walking around pointing at the light plugs, pointing at plants, pointing at the aquarium, pointing at the little knickknacks on the shelf going, no, 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 and smiling, letting Grandma know. Well, Grandma was mortified. She thought there was something wrong with our child. And that's the age we live in. When I gave this seminar in Russia, a Russian university professor told me that if there were children who behaved like I was teaching these parents to train their children, they would probably be sent to the school psychiatrist because they are obedient and submissive and sitting still and hard-working, there must be something wrong with them. And that's where our culture is going. That same uh, grandmother would say to Eleanor, your children, they are such a joy to be around. I realize I don't have to house-prove the house. Uh, they obey, they take their naps, they eat their food. They are so loving, it's just wonderful. If only you didn't spank them, it would be the perfect home. I kind of like, it just wasn't connecting, was it? No. No is do not do this. The next word you teach them is obey. And they have to say this. It's not, what is that? I know, I know. No, you don't know. Evidently. Because they hate to say it, because that's an aspect of repentance, is admitting they're wrong. No, you don't know. If you knew, you wouldn't have done it. So evidently, you don't know. So now, repeat it back to me. Or you get a disobedient stroke, two strokes for disobedience. Say no. Say, if they're older, say, no, I disobeyed. Not, I broke the cup, but no, I disobeyed you. Okay? The next is obey. Say obey. As they get older, they should learn the phrase, I will obey mommy quickly the first time. And require them to say that. Why do children obey you the third time? Because you have chosen nagging over discipline. We, they say, well, I don't think they heard me. We have a remedial auditory enhancement tool that, makes, that greatly increases the ability of children to hear things, and it's called the wooden spoon. And to tell you the truth, we just didn't shout in our home. I didn't shout at Eleanor. Eleanor didn't shout at me. 
and I didn't shout at the children. Now, at one time, we lived in a two-story house, and sometimes I didn't want to walk up the stairs so I might shout a child's name, just so I didn't have to walk up the stairs. But we didn't grow up having, but that was so the child could hear me. We didn't grow up shouting at children because they were disobedient. Because the Bible clearly teaches in James 1, and I believe it's James 1, 19, in James chapter 1, uh, verse 19, be, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So shouting in anger is counterproductive. I do that when I preach, and one of the things I have to say in some cultures where they've grown up with these false prophets and false apostles and false bishops screaming and shouting and working themselves into a sweat, that I am not going to do that, but that does not mean I am not serious. It just means I'm not angry. So obey. I will obey mommy quickly the first time. So, what's the next thing? Oops, I lost my screen share. What is the next thing? Open or give. Open or give. What do we mean by that? Open the mouth. Or give. Open the hand. We skipped come. Pardon me? We skipped number three. Oh, oh, come. Oh, thank you. Come. That means come. I trained the children to come before they needed to come. Because it's so important for their safety. Child, you're... You're putting one child in the grocery cart and the other child is starting standing next to you and they start walking away and a car is backing up and you say, come, and the average child runs away and gets hit by the car. And then the mother wants to act like the victim. Oh, why did this happen to me? Well, it happened to your child because you never taught your child to come. Scalding water is spilled on the child. You yelled at the child to come. The child didn't come, and the pan tipped over on them. You did that to your child by not teaching them to come. They got bit. They got hurt. All because they would not come. So I take the child. I did this with each child in the kitchen. Set them on the floor in the kitchen. Take uh, in the middle, walk to the edge, say come, then walk over to them and walk them to you. Then take them back, say come, walk them to you, put them back. I do that about three times. Then I say come, and they come. And then I put them back, come, and I come, about five times. And then I say, okay, that's what this means. 
if you, you, you have been trained, if when I say come, you do not come, that's two strokes with the wooden spoon. Children need to come, and not when you shout at them. Which child will get res- be able to have responsibilities in Sunday school, in Awanas, in Vacation Bible School? The child that is being chased or the child that comes? Which child will have responsibility? Who will get to hold the flag? Who will get to go to clean the erasers? Who will get to open and close the door? Who will get to lead the line? Who will get to take the attendance reports to the teachers? The child that comes or the child that has to be chased down? That's a gift you give to your child by teaching them to come. Okay, children, I want you all to come to your seats and sit down. Your child immediately stops what they're doing, goes to their seat, sits down, and looks at the teacher in the face. That's why that teacher became a teacher. And now they finally have the student they thought they would have. Finally, there's one of them. And your child will be the teacher's pet. Now, in America, we have the football draft, don't we? And we have the baseball draft. And the basketball draft. And we have a college recruiting season. But there is a draft that is more competitive and ruthless than any of those. And it is the senior teacher getting to pick who's going to be in her classroom. And you want your child to go in the first round. And the disobedient, ill-mannered children get to go to the new teacher because nobody wants them. You don't want your child in that round. Now, you may choose to homeschool your children. I have no problem with that. But not because they, they do not know no, obey, come. Open, give, hush. Not because they don't know that, but because of for either moral, spiritual, or safety reasons you've decided to do that. So come. And then they come when they're called. I only say it one time. Come. Hezekiah, come to dinner. If Hezekiah doesn't come to dinner, I get the wooden spoon, and he, and then he comes running. It doesn't matter. He heads to his bedroom. He gets two strokes. I send him back to wherever he was playing, and I say, sit there till I call you. Then I call him, and he comes. And then, I, then I praise him and instruct him and restore him. But I say, this is how it's going to be. Come or strokes. That's, that's your two choices. But I'm not going to chase around my children. And I see parents chasing their children in church, in the grocery store, on the playground. That is not honoring to chase your child. I will chase chickens. I'll chase puppies. I won't chase children.
So open give. That's open your mouth. What's in your mouth? Open. Then they swallow. Then you hear your wife say, you know, Grandma's counting her cancer pills. She she says there should be 12. She only has 11, but she's not sure. Now, what do you have to do? You have to take that sullen, rebellious, disrespectful child straight to the emergency ward, shell out $150, have their stomach pumped, don't you? Proverbs says, he who hates reproof is stupid. And that child is not learning and they're doing foolish, disrespectful things. It says, you shall beat him with the rod and save his soul from death. And that's called open gift. Now they open their mouth, might be a doodle bug, might be a Lego, might be a penny. I don't know where, my, especially when they're crawling, I don't know where they find these things. I can look an hour for that penny, that earring, and that little toddler will have it in its mouth in about 15 minutes. I don't know how they do it, but they live down there, so they find them. So open your mouth. What's in your hand? They squeeze it. Now, your auntie died, your favorite auntie died. She didn't have very much but she wanted each of her nieces to have something. And so she left you her earrings. And that sullen, disrespectful child has just ruined those because they wouldn't open their hand and give. Don't raise that kind of child. And a child does not need to be explained to. It does explanation, teaching, instructing before you discipline is good, but you don't have to explain to your child why they need to hush, why they need to come, why they need to obey, and why you are saying, no, you don't have to do that. Will a teacher do that? Okay, everybody take out their pencil, their, their writing pad. We are going to practice our alphabet letters. Why? Is your teacher going to stop and say, well, you know, it's important for us to learn, and I know what you would really rather be doing is coloring in the coloring time, and I know this really wounds your spirit when, when it makes you feel bad, and bad emotion. these emotions are not bad because you are feeling sad inside, and I understand that. We all feel sad at some time, but now it is time to do this, and later on you'll be able to... Is your teacher going to say all that stuff? No, and they don't need to hear all that. That's not called submission to authority. And that's especially true in our culture with men, young boys. There is, right or wrong, culture expects men to be more objective about these things than it does women. And that's wrong. Objectivity is very important in women. But the culture will be very unforgiving to a child that always needs to be coached, especially if he is a boy, to be coached and have things explained to 
and be encouraged. Now express how you feel. Well, I really want to color. I know. That's good. Go ahead, Nick. And it makes me sad when I can't color. That's right. Now tell, really go deep. Yes, and, and sometimes I just feel like you don't love me. I know. I know how you feel. No. A teacher's not going to go through that with their child. And it is unfair to raise a child in the home with the expectation that somebody is going to walk them through all the layers of emotions and explanations before they have to do anything. Because that's just not the real world. So then we teach them hush. And that's especially important at bedtime. We teach them hush. Now, uh, I'm scared. No, listen. Didn't mommy tell you? We prayed with you, didn't we? Yes, you prayed with me. And, uh, and we explained this to you, didn't we? Yes, you explained it to me. That's right. We prayed with you. We've explained it to you. You don't have to be afraid. Now it's time to go to bed. Now it's time. You're going to close your eyes and go to sleep. Is the screen share? Can you all still see the screen sharing? I keep losing that when I misclick. <laughs> we had it. It just now went there. there. Yep. How's that? You got it back? Okay. Yep. Can you see it now? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> so that's very important. The child needs to be able to hush at night time. Udubong Edemeter, who is the, uh, at that time, a navigator staff man in Nigeria, so before he was even married, told me, when he uh, asked me to give this seminar to some young couples in the, I uh, believe it was in Ibadan, couples ministry told me after he sat through it that uh, later as he was reading through the Bible he realized that all the things that God the Father asked Israel to do could be categorized under one of these five things. Now I haven't done that study but I thought it was interesting. We came up with this with these five things because it had to do with our children's success. That's why we came up with them. They needed to be able to do these things in order to succeed spiritually and educationally. And to for them to be able to, to succeed in family relationships because children who don't do this things, these things are put up with by grandparents because grandparents always love their children but they don't really benefit 
from the relationship with the grandparents. Now, <coughs> unfortunately I find that some grandparents are as rebellious as their children, your children. <laughs> so uh, you're kind of battling upstream in that case. And you almost have to protect your children sometimes from the decisions of the grandparents. Well, then we have the little three. Cooperating with diaper change, cooperating with eating and dressing. Have you ever noticed that sometimes it's so easy to change the diaper and other times it's chaos? Sometimes mealtime goes so smoothly and other times it's chaos. Sometimes getting dressed is a snap and other times it's chaos. That's because sometimes the child wants to do these things and sometimes they don't. These things are not optional and, the, and they need to be taken care of early. Changing the diaper, eating, and dressing. When the big one. Now when the training process begins, things will begin to get smoother and more pleasant. Sooner or later though, the child will decide. Sooner or later, the child will decide that they don't like the new world order. And they will choose an area to throw down the gauntlet. And we call that the big one. And you have to win this. You have to win with this big one. With one child it was come. And I bet we worked for 30 minutes. Come. No. <laughs> Stamp the foot. Okay. Instruct, discipline, instruct, restore, back up. Come. Uh-uh. Instruct, discipline, instruct, restore. Back up. Come. No. Stamp, sit. Then the child would just sit down. Now try to make me come. No. Make the child stand, you know. And I bet for at least half an hour. Not during the initial training phase. Just all of a sudden, out of the blue, this child decided we're going to revert back to me being in control. You have to win that. If it takes all day. We had another child that decided they were going to eat without swallowing. They would stuff this food anywhere but down their throat. And then when their mouth was full, gag. No. They have to swap, chew and swallow. Instruct, discipline, instruct, restore. Chew and swallow. Swallow, instruct, discipline, instruct, restore. And then finally, uh, we put the child down for their nap. The, we, the child got up from their nap, back in the high chair, food in front of the child, and we started again. I would be willing to do that all day. 
they go down to sleep at night, that's all right. First thing up, back in the high chair, food in front of them until they eat their food without throwing it, without knocking it on the floor, without spitting it out, without gagging. They eat. That's why when we went to restaurants, we didn't have like we didn't have to sit in the very back where they keep the coffee stands and the the door to the cat to the uh, dishwasher in that area where they put the people with kids so they won't disturb the other people in the restaurants and it'll be easy to clean up their mess. No, children didn't make a mess. I was at the minister's home. And we were going to have dinner there, and Eleanor and I sat down, and then he and his wife sat down, and we could see in the kitchen there was a plastic mat, and on the mat was the high chair and the dog dish. And the dog and the child were eating and making a mess. I don't raise my children like a dog. They can eat without making a mess. And I have been out with parents of preschool children that I was just humiliated at the condition we left that table and the floor. They should have left a $50 tip for the cleaning job that was going to have to be done. Don't, don't these young couples have any self-respect? How can they go out to eat and allow their children to create fuss like that. So now after the rod there are other creative ways of disciplining but uh, we're not going to look at that at this time. What we're going to look at now is what I call the spiral. Little Danny He's been whining, and his mother has been complaining, and he's been in conflict with his mother all day. The father gets home, and the mother says, well, we need uh, some eggs and flour at the market so I can make the cake for the church ladies' luncheon, and you can take a little Hezekiah. And the father says, no, I don't want Hezekiah. And the mother says, well, I've been with him all day, you can take him. And while Hezekiah is at the store, he doesn't know why people look at him kind of funny. He doesn't know why he keeps getting in trouble. He just knows that it seems like he's not a nice person and people tend to snicker and laugh at him. He, do, he doesn't know why he doesn't get to hold the Bible for the Pledge of the Bible at Vacation Bible School or hold the flag. He never gets chosen to be a crossing guard. He never gets any of those things and he doesn't know why and he finally decides in this downward spiral, you know, I'm just not a good boy. I'm just not successful. Slowly comes to that conclusion. On the other hand, little Hezekiah is there with his mother and they are chopping carrots. And daddy comes home and mother says, uh, I've been having so much fun with Hezekiah today, I meant to text you, but we need flour and eggs. 
And then he says, great, Hezekiah can come. She says, oh no, Hezekiah and I are cooking. No, you've gotten to be with Hezekiah all day. Daddy wants some fun time with Hezekiah. And so they go to the store, and Hezekiah is not really sure why, but people comment to him, strangers, what a good child you are. What a sweet child he is. Look how obedient he is. Hezekiah gets to be chosen to hold the Bible for the plagues of the Bible at Vacation Bible School. He gets chosen to hold the flag for the Pledge of Allegiance. He gets chosen to be the crossing guard. He gets chosen for responsibilities. He just notices, mostly subconsciously, that people are always smiling and looking at him in such a kind way and saying things like, you're such a smart child. You're such a good child. And Hezekiah is, is not really sure why, but he knows that he is on the upward spiral to success. Now, who gave Hezekiah that blessing? His parents. Who are responsible that Hezekiah thinks that he's dumb and can't learn and can't do things and will never amount to much? His parents. So these are blessings that we can, you can give your children. You can be a blessing to them. But what you're thinking of is the future. You're always thinking of the future. See, the terrible twos are a myth. We reject any child-raising philosophy where the child is referenced to as terrible. When I'm in Africa, when I'm in Asia, when I'm in Sub-Saharan Africa, in India, where the, where the discipline of children with the rod is still practiced, they are amazed that we have this phrase, terrible too, in America. In fact, I had a Nigerian pastor ask me, why do, parent, why do Americans have terrible twos? Why do they allow their children to be terrible? Why do they even have that word? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? My children didn't experience the terrible twos. They never did. And your children shouldn't either. No child needs to be terrible if his parents are willing to train and discipline him. Training and discipline create freedom and independence. The more responsible the child is earlier, he the earlier he realizes his freedom. It is the undisciplined, untrained child that must rebel to get his freedom. Conclusion. There are five rationales for disciplining and training children. God, through his word, commands it. You're, you will present yourself an obedient parent to God. That should be you. And the right to minister by children obeying. Your children's ability to lead a fruitful, fulfilled life. Family harmony is assured. And you provide your child with the keys to harmony.
Remember, three levels. Instruction, disobedience, rebellion. Remember the big five. Know, obey, come, open, give, hush. Remember the little three. Cooperating with diaper changing, cooperating with getting dressed, cooperating with eating. Remember, your child is in a spiral and you can choose it. Remember when the big one. You see, this is preparation for a fruitful and fulfilled life apart from the parents. Okay? We have to stop here. Our time is way over. So I want to thank you for your attention.